0: My space,
1: your space,
0: our space. Welcome to a podcast where we explore and demystify the cosmos. Gasp! Welcome to episode one, where we begin our exciting journey talking about our celestial neighbors in the solar system. We will visit and discuss the key players in our solar system one by one throughout the series. But in this first episode, we wanted to give you a general overview of the solar system, starting with some history.
1: Thousands of years ago, when we curiously began gazing at the night sky and the millions and billions of stars out there, people noticed that most of the distant points of light seemed to be fixed in space. Of course, with the rotation and orbit of the Earth, All of them rose in the East and set in the West, and they gradually changed positions throughout the year, but their motions were very easily predictable and universal.
0: But interestingly, a few of them didn't fit the pattern. Night after night, if you observed these special points of light, they would shift positions in a weird way, sometimes even reversing directions. Now, we know that these special points of light are in fact not stars at all. They are planets. The word coming from Greek meaning wanderers.
1: Oh, how confused the Greeks must have been to see these few select points seemingly drift through the night sky without care. Fast forward to today. We know quite a bit about our neighborhood, but there are still so many questions we could ask. Why are Venus and Mars so different from each other and from Earth? Are we the only life form in our solar system? How did Saturn get its rings? Is there a planet nine?
0: And some of these questions we will talk about in this series, but some of them will be left untouched and may not be answered even within our lifetime. But as long as we keep looking up, Our discoveries will only be limited by the extent of our curiosity and imagination. And after all these years, we continue to wander the night sky and our universe, just like the planets.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit uh, about the layout of our neighborhood, and we'll introduce our neighbors by, you know, talking about the position of the planets and their composition. So just like our human neighbors, they all have their little quirks. That's right, I'm looking at you, Kevin. (laughs) Disclaimer, all solar systems are not organized like this. Ours is, and so we'll talk about what makes our solar system special for us.
0: All right, um, so let's get started uh, getting acquainted with our neighbors. And we're going to start with the most massive object in our neighborhood, our lovely sun. The sun contains more than 99% of the mass in our solar system. And at the very heart of our solar system, the sun holds all of it together, keeping everything in orbit. Although it is really special to us, the sun is actually a pretty average star. At about 4.5 billion years old, this yellow dwarf still has much longer to burn brightly.
1: Next comes the terrestrial planets, and these are the four planets closest to the sun. So that's Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. These planets are composed of rocks and metals, have molten heavy metal cores, and have a hard surface. In other words, they rock.
0: Next comes the asteroid belt, which is what separates the inner from the outer planets in our solar system. Located between Mars and Jupiter, the asteroid belt is home to millions of asteroids. Instead of combining with or forming other planets, the asteroids are actually shepherded by Jupiter. The largest object in the asteroid belt is the dwarf planet Ceres. Being the closest dwarf planet to us, This was actually the first to be visited by a spacecraft.
1: Okay, now after the asteroid belt, we can move on to the gas giants. So the gas giants include Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. And indicated by their name, these planets are mostly composed of gases like hydrogen and helium. Astronomers think that these planets originally formed as rocky planets, but were massive enough to pull hydrogen and helium from the condensing gas cloud that eventually became our sun. Although farther away from the sun, these planets are never lonely because they typically have many, many moons.
0: So beyond these outer planets, we get to what was long known as the ninth planet, now quote unquote ninth planet, Pluto. It is actually the perfect introduction to the celestial bodies that orbit the sun but do not clear debris from their orbit. These are classified as dwarf planets. Uh, we actually met one today that lives in the asteroid belt, uh, but the other ones are actually all beyond Neptune. As of today, there are five recognized dwarf planets: Ceres, Pluto, Eris, Haumea, and makimaki
1: Um, short disclaimer. Our pronunciations aren't perfect, and we know that. So, you know, we're just trying our best. If you have any helpful suggestions or corrections, feel free to let us know.
0: Apart from Ceres, all of them are located in the outer solar system. Icy bodies beyond the orbit of Neptune are in the region known as the Kuiper Belt. Similar to the asteroid belt, these regions contain small icy bodies from the solar system's early history. This shouldn't be confused with the Oort cloud, which is even farther beyond the Kuiper belt. Wow, the solar system is just huge!
1: Okay, let's go back to talking about the Greeks. As confused as they initially might have been by these planets, the wanders of the night, The Greek astronomers were very intelligent. They were scientists. They followed the scientific method, came up with models of the universe, tested them, and every time the model didn't work, they came up with a better one.
0: One issue that they had, though, is that they were limited by their beliefs and preconceptions. They believed that we were at the center of the universe and everything else orbited around us. uh, So-called geocentrism. So in their model, we were stationary, and in order from closest to farthest, the objects orbiting us went the Moon, Mercury, Venus, and then the Sun, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and past Saturn existed the fixed stars.
1: And not only that, they believed that the heavenly bodies were perfect, that they were perfectly spherical objects in perfectly circular orbits. With these two things set in stone The fact that the Earth was at the center and the orbits were perfectly circular, it was quite difficult to make models that fit observations. Even nature doesn't draw perfect circles.
0: But the Greeks actually did an excellent job by introducing something called epicycles, or circles on circles, as I like to think about it. Essentially, they put smaller orbits around the main orbit, and yet smaller orbits around those, and so on and so forth. At one point. The Greeks actually had seven circles on circles. But they did this until the model could predict observations fairly accurately. In fact, this geocentric model with epicycles was so accurate that it was the accepted model of the universe for more than a thousand
1: years. It wasn't until the 16th and 17th centuries when astronomers like Copernicus and Kepler came along and changed these ideas that we began to develop the model of the solar system today. A model that places the sun at the center of our solar system. Heliocentrism.
0: Copernicus introduced the idea of putting the sun at the center, and Kepler came up with a very accurate model of our solar system by using elliptical orbits. In other words, orbits that are squashed circles rather than perfectly circular ones. Respectively, they challenged the preconceptions of the Greeks to move toward a better model of our solar system.
1: The point of telling this story is not only to explain the origins of our solar system model, it's an anecdote that represents the nature of science as a discipline. So first of all, I don't want the key takeaway from this to be, cool, heliocentrism is correct, end of story. In fact, That isn't entirely accurate. Now we know that although the sun contains more than 99% of the mass in our solar system, it too feels the force of gravity due to other objects in the solar system. All the objects in our neighborhood, including our sun, orbit a special point called the center of mass. Of course, for the sun, the orbit is so tiny compared to its size that it's just a mere wobble.
0: Nonetheless, the message that we want to drive home is that in astronomy and science, we very rarely, if ever, come up with a model that is 100% accurate, and true all the time. Throughout the discipline's history, we've had many paradigm shifts. Just like the change from geocentrism to heliocentrism, where the previously accepted model is replaced by a better, more accurate model. And by extension, there is certainly no guarantee that the accepted model today won't, in the future, be replaced by something better.
1: So even if you're not a scientist or you don't consider yourself as a science person, it's important to realize that your worldview might one day change, sometimes quite drastically. And for me, I think it's important to approach your everyday life with a little bit of skepticism and a little bit of curiosity. Something that you've been told is the truth your whole life Do you ever stop and think about why that's the case? Whether there are other possibilities, everybody is prone to biases and preconceptions, and it's important to sometimes reflect and challenge them. You might learn a thing or two.
0: All right. So I hope you enjoyed episode one, Our Neighborhood, as we embark on our journey of the solar system. Please follow our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook if you haven't done so already at Our OurSpacePod, all one word, all lowercase. And see you next time when we will talk about the protagonist of our solar system, the main character, if you will, the sun on the next episode of
1: our space.